Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, we've got a particularly interesting podcast this week uh, because we're going to first off discuss some of the macroeconomic data that we're seeing um, not only here from the, the UK, but on a global basis, which is painting a particularly interesting, some may say worrying uh, picture for the outlook for the rest of 2022. And then we're going to be discussing, as usual, a number of UK equities. And to do that with us this morning, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thanks very much for being with us today. Hi, John. How are you doing? Yes, very well, very very well. Thank you. Lovely sunny day here in uh, in London again. Um, although looking at the weather um, out there and you know comparing that to some of the economic data that we've seen this morning, um, things may not be as bright uh, for some of the the households out there in the UK um, with this bumper inflation data that we, we've seen uh, this morning at a nine percent. Now it's not a surprise because this is something that's been um, signposted by uh, economists, the Bank of England, for, for, for some time. But when you start to get readings around 9% on inflation, that's, that's pretty serious stuff. Anyone following uh, the markets in the, in the last week or, or so will start to see um, this word stagflation um, coming up time and time again. And that's something that, that I want to touch on now. And then explore what this could mean for for markets. So, you know, with stagflation, that's a, that's a period of slowing growth that we, that we have. I mean, if we look at uh, the most recent instalment of UK GDP, there's a slight decline, only only 0.1 percent, not a huge amount, uh, but but still uh, a shrinking of the economy. Of course, we've got this morning the rising inflation, nine percent, uh, very high inflation there. The other element of, of stagflation, which isn't coming through at the moment, is rising unemployment. Indeed, uh, data yesterday from the ONS actually showed that there's, uh, for the for the first time uh, in in some time, that there's actually more people looking. Uh, sorry, there's more jobs available than people looking for jobs. So, um, if somebody wants to go and get a job, um, you know that uh, that's available to them. So that that's an element there um, that needs to uh, to be watched closely. But this is obviously a concerning picture for, for markets. It's a, it's a concerning uh, picture for, for households in the UK. But there's a disconnect at the moment, Alan, between you know what, what's happening in the economy and the, and the FTSE 100. Now, there's a bit of a different story in the United States that, that we'll touch on afterwards. Um, but sort of looking here you know, at our domestic markets, and this is something that we've touched on again previously, um, but looking at what we're we're seeing in our domestic stock exchange, FTSE 100, the leading index here in London, we're seeing top rises in for so far this year of Shell, BP, BAE. Of course, that's very highly linked to uh, the situation in Ukraine. And then we're seeing a lot of the miners out there. I mean, with this situation that we're seeing on a macro level, Alan, do you see these types of stocks maintaining uh, their relative outperformance to the rest of the market going forwards. 
Yeah, I, 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 there's a, we've got this interesting cocktail of factors. Of course, um, uh, you know, we've got this uh, record inflation figure, which uh, has come, well, it hasn't come as a surprise, actually. I think um, the consensus was it would be over 9%. So the fact is that 9% obviously is, is bad enough. It's a, it's a 40, 40 year high. Um, and obviously, it's putting pressure on Rishi Sunak to do something to help um, households. But, uh, um, most people, you question the man in the street, and most of them will understand where the inflation has come from. That is, of course, the uh, the the uh, the Russia-Ukraine crisis, um, the effect that's had on oil prices and also commodity prices. So, on the back of that, we are seeing the uh, the uh, the miners riding high, um, and uh, at the same time, set against that is this 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 fundamental shift that's taking place in the energy industry. Uh, where we're moving away from fossil fuels, um, and also, and, and of course, we're moving into uh, uh, um, uh, battery-powered technology, hydrogen fuel te- technology to power our vehicles going forward for a green, uh, for a greener economy and, and a greener world. So, so that that continues unabated. That demand continues unabated, and that demand for commodities has, of course, been exacerbated by the fact that um, uh, sanctions have effectively stopped Russia from exporting uh, any of its commodities. And of course, uh, the oil supply, um, the energy supply is, is now being shut down to the rest of Europe too. So Russia has been, is being isolated um, and that is providing positive drivers for the FTSE. Uh, of course, uh, inflation has risen. Uh, interest rates uh, have also risen too. Um, and we're going to, we'd like to see further interest rates, I think, uh, next month, which is pushing up the cost of borrowing. Um, so, of course, you've got this cocktail where uh, banks and financial uh, services companies are able, well, banks in particular, are able to earn more money from their funds on deposits. So that fundamentally changes their model. Uh, they have to pass that on to the consumer. And, of course, the cost of living rises because food prices are higher, cost of borrowing is higher, and everything else. Um the, we're not at that stagflation uh, level yet because one factor of stagflation is that uh, uh, that is that there will be job losses. And at the moment, of course, we've got a surplus of jobs to employees out there, which is almost unprecedented. But we, if we start to see if we start to see companies suffering in the face of of uh, the current economic conditions and uh, having to lay people off, then, of course, we will be in that period of stagflation, uh, which will ultimately hit purchasing power um, and, uh, and we'll, 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 we'll get locked into a cycle where, where um, uh, uh, leisure stocks, retail stocks will start to fall in value because the spend is less and, uh, and, the, and the cycle will continue. So um, we, we need to, you know, I think uh, fundamentally, uh, we're all hoping for a successful outcome to the Ukraine war. But I, th- I think there is uh, very much the thinking is now this is going to rumble on for some years. But in any event, we're not at stagflation yet, but we ha- we do have some factors to deal with. Uh, but for investors, you know, there are some positives. If you're holding stocks like Shell or like Rio Tinto that pay a decent dividend, then keep holding. But um, would I buy them at these levels now? Uh, I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's always that, um, even if they do fall with those companies and, and the significant dividend, dividends that they are paying, there's always that compensation for the weight uh, for any capital appreciation 
on them. Now, I touched on there, Alan, you know, the disconnect between the UK economy and the FTSE 100. But there's also a significant disconnect at the moment between the FTSE 100 and its year-to-date performance uh, and comparison with the US indices. I mean, if you look at the S&P 500 on the year, um, we're currently trading down um, about 14%. Um, if we're looking at the NASDAQ, NASDAQ is down 24% uh, on the year, whereas the FTSE is flat. We've also got a situation where there's a real risk of recession now in the uh, in the United States. The CEO of Goldman Sachs, uh, Lloyd Blankfein, just said yesterday that there's a very, very high risk of, uh, of, of, a, of a recession in the United States. Now, of course, that's likely to have a, a, a fallout, not only in uh, US equities. Maybe we could argue that uh, US markets are, are front running to some extent um, any economic downturn. But in that situation, and we, we do see the world's biggest economy, the United States, slip into recession, is that then a situation that, that, that you know, there's, there's an element of contagion then, and that goes across to the FTSE 100, and whether it's Shell, whether it's BP, whether it's Tesco's, um, you know, that we start to see weakness in, uh, in the blue chip companies here in, uh, in London. I think um, there's, there's a, a possibility of that, but I think, I think we'd need to be in a stagflation situation for that to happen. Um, uh, you, you mentioned it yourself, Jonathan. I mean, you know, the, the NASDAQ is very much down on the year, so tech stocks are, are taking a battery in the moment because, of course, of their, their racy price earnings valuations. Um, and, uh, and um, you know, that, that's something the FTSE 100, 100 does have a tech element, but it's not so exposed to tech. It's more about resource um, uh, energy and, and financials, and I think that's the underlying strength, which is why you're you're seeing this you're seeing uh, this disconnect between the indices. Um, however, if we if we arrive at, at a stagflation scenario where where there are uh, job losses and spend is reduced, then of course I think uh, I, I think the FTSE will move. But um, I had noticed recently that uh, the FTSE hasn't necessarily moved in line with. The U.S. market, so that is um, that's possibly a good sign. Obviously, the Brexit factor is still an issue. Um, uh, there's still un- some uncertainty as to how the UK will perform as a standalone economy, but of course, we are indelibly linked to European fortunes and the fortunes uh, of other countries as well. But the fact is now that we're doing business uh, uh, unencumbered by the shackles of Europe with other nations, so. That in itself is a positive factor. Indeed, indeed. So, Alan, now let's move on to the companies that we're going to discuss today. So, first of all, let's look at uh, Burberry reported today. Now, this is an interesting company because in the luxury sector, there's there's always this feeling that it's insulated from you know, economic. Uh, ups and downs, you know, obviously the, the nature of luxury uh, goods and their customers, you know, not always uh, the ones to be uh, impacted by inflation or impacted by the, the uh, rising cost of fuel. But we've had their figures out this morning. Alan, what do they look like? Well, they're pretty good. Uh, um, and, and again, you're quite right. I mean, they are really unaffected because, of course, Burberry, um, Burberry uh, sells uh, sells premium uh, luxury goods, and uh, and uh, the, the 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 fact is that billionaires or millionaires buying 
high ticket handbags simply aren't worried about rising fuel prices and food prices so so the brand is insulated in that respect and that that's very much a positive factor and certainly you know despite the the ravages of covid and uh and uh, the other uncertainty uh the the uh russia ukraine crisis um the year figures look very strong revenues up 23% to just under 3 billion, uh, 10% ahead of pre-pandemic levels, worth noting. Um, and also um, uh, underlying profits uh, also rose nearly 40% to half a billion, 523 million, well ahead of expectations. Um, and on the back of that, Burberry, uh, Burberry will be paying out uh, a, a, a final dividend of 35.5p, uh, the full year up so the full year uh, dividend is up 11% to 47p. Um, there's a share buyback coming up, so that will provide some support for the share price. But shares shares didn't rocket on the news this morning. Uh, I mean, uh, the um, uh, a lot of the pundits out there are saying that, of course, this is the first set of results under the new chief executive, Jonathan Ackroyd. Um, and it's certainly painted a, a decent picture of of the uh, the progress that the company's made under his uh uh, on his stewardship um but uh the there was a note a note of caution sounded in uh guidance going forward uh the, the group just said you know as i think most companies are saying nowadays to be honest it's a it's a kind of caveat isn't it uh that the current backdrop could create some uncertainty ahead so shares shares were off at the start but I, i'm just looking at them now they seem to just they've just nudged slightly back into positive territory which it which is good um but i think i think you know certainly for the dividend now you know the annual dividend of three and a half percent you know makes burberry an attractive buy and it could just be if, if we look at the performance over the last year i mean we're still just off year highs, year, uh, year lows rather. Year lows of £14.73, year highs of £22.67, and here we are at £15.87. So so this could be actually a shrewd buy at these levels, uh, given the performance and given the given the uh, the strong start to the year too. Um, it, could, it, it could be a good stock to pick up um, because it will, as the, as, uh, as the analysts have said, remain insulated because... You've got millionaires buying high-ticket items. Exactly. And, uh, you know, rising input prices are hardly going to be a problem for the margins of uh, of Burberry. Of course, it may uh, impact them, um, but uh, not as much as some of the other retailers out there. And it's quite interesting, actually, Alan, because I think we've seen a bit of a transition in, in Burberry uh, over the last five years. You know, it was very much a growth stock. There was a big ch- turnaround in, in Burberry, it's probably started about 10 years ago now, but, you know, a big change of direction. They're obviously bringing in different creative people, targeting emerging markets. But now, it, you know, it could sort of be falling into that category of being, a, you know, an income stock. Maybe the growth levels aren't as strong as they used to be, but there's an attractive dividend there and there'll always be uh, a demand uh, for luxury goods, um, you know, such as such as Burberry, you know, the, the brand that is, is there. It's been around uh, for years and years, we don't see that changing any any time soon. So, one to be uh, maybe having a look at if you're if you're interested in uh, a bit a bit of value and uh, you know possibly some uh, some income there. So, moving on now, Alan, we've got a company that we've discussed on the podcast on numerous occasions before, but it, it's quite uh, for me a standout announcement that they've had today. Open Orphan, they, they've got. Uh, a contract win of quite quite a significant level this morning. Yes, they have indeed. Um, Open Orphan, of course, um, uh, I, I've spoken about Open Orphan many times before, of course, run by the uh, 
Mercurial Carfreel, who's the chairman of the group. Uh, of course, Yamin Mokan uh, came in recently as chief executive, and uh, we've got Dr. Andrew Catchpole there, who is the uh, who is the, the chief scientific officer at HVivo. Um, so, in in two years, Open Orphans gro- uh, grown. It's it, it's a contract research organisation. Um, and it's built a high-growth uh, London-based clinical trial business um, uh, uh, through HVIVA, also supported by um, a clinical services company called Venn Life Sciences. And, of course, that was the company they initially reversed into a couple of years back. Um, the, the company is now recognised as the a world leader in human respiratory disease challenge clinical studies. Um, and uh, throughout the COVID crisis, uh, Open Orphan, um, the the team uh, run by Dr. Andrew Cashpole were constantly in the news on the BBC Sky, um, uh, featuring their featuring the the challenge studies that they were undertaking to uh, to overcome COVID. But the the challenge studies are widely used now um, uh, to they take disease free volunteers and infect them with a pathogen under tightly controlled conditions to test new pharmaceuticals and vaccines and it's a very effective uh, way to test vaccines um, and they are now very much uh, an accepted fast track uh, uh, process uh, in the process of developing drugs now and um, Open Orphan's got uh, a big set, a big 43 bed uh, category in East London um, uh, 19 of which are in um, in a, a least wide chapel former hotel facility and 24 are on the the Queen Mary uh, Hospital East London uh, site, and it's used for COVID and flu and all the rest of it. Um, but uh, uh, the company has really sort of powered ahead with um, integrating Van Life Sciences um, and HVivo into the business. Um, it, it's also made good progress financially too. So full year sales in 2020 were 23 million. They're estimated to be 37 million in on, on the 20 year 2021 which they're going to report shortly um, um and all, and in f- full year 22 uh for the, the management is forecasting revenues of 50 million or more with underlying underlying earnings uh um EBITDA of around seven and a half million so this is a, a big step forward and i think when you take the sort of numbers and compare them to some of the pharma companies listed on the nasdaq these companies are trading with valuations of of 250 350 400,000 uh, uh um 400,000 uh, pounds and uh, of course dollar uh, I've sort of uh, equated that to pounds rather than dollars so um the fact that open orphan currently are trading at uh, at this lowly valuation of just under 100 million I find baffling because they've made so much progress um they're they're in profit now and uh I think the company is is at this stage, fundamentally undervalued. Um, it's making good progress. As you rightly said, Jonathan, this morning, we've seen yet another contract win announcement. And if you look back at the news flow for the company over the year, um, there are field study contracts, challenge virus manufacturing contracts, um, and, uh, and uh, of course, the, the group are uh, requested to uh, uh, present at various um, at various uh, seminars around the world, uh, in particular presenting their the human challenge study uh, 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 process that they, that they that they have, and uh, today of course a seven and a half million uh, 
Influenza Human Challenge Study contract when it was announced by the group. So, um, so the stock... Uh, uh, there isn't a dividend paid out yet, but um, but I think uh, we're just off year lows. Year, the, the stock has dipped to 10.5p on the year low. It's just off that now, 14.2p, uh, down from a year high of 40p. So I think uh, I think given the progress the group are making, and also given the profile the company has in the media, you know, which is very unusual for a company with such a small market capitalization, um, and a lot of that's down to Carl Friel and his team. Uh, 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 pushing and, and, and developing the company as they have been, uh, and also, of course, with the with the uh, trials that the company were doing during the COVID process. Uh, in terms of profile, and certainly the, the brand itself is very, very it's very well known. It's very high profile. So I, I fully expect the stock to uh, to redress that valuation gap um, during the year. And certainly once the full year numbers for 2021 are published um, and went to 2022, uh, the first trading update that I think indicates the group are on track for full year, rec- full year revenues of 50 million, um, uh, then I think uh, there'll be a major revaluation on the cards at that point. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it there, Alan. The, the thing that stands out for me looking at uh, at Open Orphan here is, is that valuation. You know, for, for a company that's very much still in the growth space, you know, it, it's trading at less than than three times, um, you know, forecast sales for this year. Yeah. Of course, if they rise up to fifty million in the next year, as you uh, as you alluded to, you know, that's 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 less than two times sales. And it's you know he's it, not he's not you know one of these growth companies that's that's losing money. You obviously you know given a, a, a forecast there on the profitability there. You know you're looking at sort of trading thirteen times earnings, and it, it, that's a big disconnect between um, some of its peers. Yeah, so right. that's one to I feel pay pay some attention to and really drill down in, into those figures and, and look at what they're actually doing to get a good understanding of this company uh, because those valuations are are very attractive in this, you know, in that, in that biotech space. So now moving on, Alan, another one that we've discussed many times on the podcast before, but we haven't discussed recently. Uh, it's Tertiary Minerals, but they've had an update this morning, Alan. What does that look like? Well, Tertiary Minerals have had, um, uh, so, so we, uh, the company published the update yesterday. It was, um, uh, they updated on their, on the copper project in Zambia, um, and of course, uh, shares. Well, again, shares in tertiary minerals have had a pretty torrid time. I mean, we're still trading on a market capitalization of three point two five million, which is which is derisory, really, for the projects the group has. And I think um, since the arrival of Patrick Cullen, Patrick uh, has uh, worked for many years in Zambia and has a very good understanding of the assets out there. Also, the incumbent government and um, and uh, and the way companies work with government to to bring these projects to to fruition. Um, also, going back, uh, the company has a raft of assets in Nevada. Of course, the uh, the the assets in Nevada um, have been key. We had the pyramid project, and uh, uh, despite some very uh, some very uh, positive sampling work that um, and site work that have been undertaken by the group last year. When the group drilled uh, the asset early this year, the results were disappointing. Of course, that was a setback. But um, um, if it, if the 
company had been all about that project, then of course we uh, we, we could have been in in, in a bit of trouble. Uh, nonetheless, they uh, across Nevada, we had the the Brunton Pass Copper Project and a number of other uh, copper and silver assets out there as well, which the group are progressing. But um, Patrick very much uh, wanted to focus on the uh, on the the uh, the Zambia Copper Belt uh, assets the group has. In particular, the uh, the the project known uh, known as Jacks. This is the uh, the Jacks Copper Project, um, and and uh, the company has a has a local partner then Moashia Resources, and Tertiary's got an option to earn up to a ninety percent joint venture license. Um, the very first drill hole uh, that was drilled, uh, the visual observations of the core indicated copper mineralization. Uh, the company also had portable XRF um, uh, 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 analysis tools at the site, and uh, and that's obviously a very good start. And Patrick Cullen said that uh, the uh, the first drill program, the first hole um, to to find visible copper mineralization, is a very it, it, it's a very strong site. So the company is undergoing um, uh, undergoing uh, uh, approximately seven seven hundred fifty to a thousand meters of uh, drilling across the area um, and uh, they're, they're testing continuity below the surface uh, down 150 to 180 meters below surface uh, and Patrick said you know based on what they've already found they believe um, it's the there's the uh, there's potential economic uh, levels of mineralization there and of course if that's the case then um, then tertiary will certainly proceed and uh, with its uh, option to earn into the asset and uh, and, and, and move things on from there. But uh, I think with the portfolio of assets alone um, and the progress the group have made this year, I mean, we're, we're looking at this uh, this um, this valuation currently at uh, shares trading at 0.2p, um, which gives it this derisory valuation. Uh, we've, we've been at 0.4p on the year, so near double where we are. But um, in my opinion, on the news from Jacks alone, uh, when you pull the first hold out of the ground like that, that's normally a pretty good sign. And you know, let's remember this isn't soil sampling; this is actually drilling down into the asset to see what's down below. So that's a pretty good first step. And uh, you know, I, I think um, I'm a tertiary shareholder. I'm certainly very, very excited to find out uh, what they find in the in the subsequent holes. So they've got an, they've got a portfolio of assets, tertiary. Is there anything been happening in, in any of those other ones out there, Alan? Yes, indeed. Uh, well, well, tertiary also has a, a number of royalty assets too. They had a royal, gold royalty asset in Finland uh, where Orion Resources have been uh, undertaking some work and there's a, the, the, the company will have, uh, uh, well, potentially if they find gold at the uh, Finland asset, then there's the company could earn up to $2 million from that alone without without it lifting a pen or doing a stroke of work you know so 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 if you if you put that against the, the valuation um you know potentially up to two million um and that's that's just a, a royalty asset it also has of course some historical uh fluor spar assets which are dormant at the moment but um you know, there's the potential for those to come back to life in some way, shape, or form. But it's also the other assets in in uh, uh, in Nevada that uh, that uh, are really of interest. You know, we have the you know the, the pyramid asset is still is still there. You know, it's it's a large area, so we may find uh, uh, further potential in other other areas uh, in in in, uh, in Nevada. And of course, there's the 
the Brunton Pass Copper Project, uh, which the group will be uh, doing further field work uh, uh, later on this year. Um, so, so there's a portfolio of assets there, which I think you know um, we, we should be looking at a market capitalization probably near eight to ten million. You know, with with the portfolio the group has got, um, you know, and certainly given that there are other companies operating in the Walker Lane Gold Belt where tertiary has its assets uh, with much higher valuations. Yes, yes, certainly is. Uh, you know, the, the previous two companies that, that we've discussed today, you know, the, the recent updates there are definitely going to be worth some uh, some attention there from uh, from investors. And as you just pointed out, Alan, you know, again, if we're looking at a sector comparison, you know, with what, they, what they're doing and, and what some of the peers are, are trading at tertiary, there is an argument there has uh, a little bit of room on the upside there. Yes. So, uh, and, you know, obviously with all, all of these, Smaller cap stocks. There's a high element of risk, um, but you know it's, it's all about picking out uh, you know, a number and and spreading the, the risk uh, because not all of them will succeed. But you know, sort of looking at the figures there and the peers, as I said, um, you know, if that's something that you look at, definitely worth paying some uh, some attention there too. So just a recap of these stocks we've discussed today. Uh, first of all, of course, is Burberry with a ticker of BRBY. There was then Open Orphan, which has a ticker of O-R-P-H. And we finished off there with Tertiary Minerals, which has a ticker of T-Y-M. Alan, thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just a note to listeners, I think I did touch on it last uh, last week. We're going to have our first in-person investor evening coming up at the end of June. That will very shortly be in the events section on the UK Investor Magazine website. So do check that out and you'll be able to see the companies that are presenting there on the event page when it's live. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.